This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by the all-new 2024 Lexus GX. You ever pick up a piece of gear that inspired you to up your game? My first full suspension mountain bike was like this. So plush and fun, it changed riding a bike from something I thought I'd never forget how to do to something I realized I wanted to do better. The all-new Lexus GX is an exceptionally capable rig that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. With available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, and multi-terrain select, the all-new GX is rugged on the outside, refined on the inside. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Or go to Lexus.com slash GX to learn more. From Outside Magazine, this is the Outside Podcast. Hey everyone, Michael Roberts here. Before we start today's episode by producer Patty O'Connell, I want to let you know that it focuses on some heavy topics, including suicide. But it's also a beautiful and deeply moving story. And there's even some laughter. For all of the interviews that I've done, I don't believe that I've actually ever had Kleenex at the ready. And I do. (laughs) I just, it's like, it's like outside podcast this week brought to you by tissues and tears starring Drew and Patty. Um, I just had to get so much snot out of my nose so that I can (laughs) talk. (laughs) I'm in my closet and I don't have Kleenex like you do because you came prepared. So I'm picking out what shirt I'm going to blow my nose into. Oh, nope. There we go. I got a, got a nice little neck tube. Yeah, just, just so the listeners know, like, you can make me cry, like... Till the cows come home, as they say. Like I am, I'm fucking here for it, and yeah. nothing is off limits today. So, let the tears flow, let the snot flow, but every once in a while, I have to clear it. This is probably a good time to let you know that I will most likely not be borrowing a neck tube from you in the future. <laughs> That is a teary and pretty snotty Drew Peterson. Drew is a professional skier, and on paper, he possesses all the characteristics of the archetypal outdoor athlete. He is handsome. He is extremely, almost annoyingly fit. He has golden hair down to his shoulders and a powder snow catching beard that would make ZZ Top jealous. He is really, really, really good at making huge, fast, beautiful ski turns. For these reasons, he is regularly featured in magazine stories and photo shoots and action sports movies. In fact, he just released a ski film about himself that he produced and co-directed. It's called Ups and Downs. But while that sounds like the title of a predictable ski movie made by a prototype mountain dude, Drew is anything but typical. 
and neither is the film. Ups and Downs is about a hell of a lot more than skiing. The title is just a really simple interpretation that I wanted to mirror the ups and downs of my personal mental health journey with the ups and downs of ski touring. This is not the first time Drew has publicly explored mental health. On social media, he is open about his own journey, which includes depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation. Last summer, he wrote an essay for Outside Online titled, We Need to Talk About Mental Health in the Mountains. In it, he outlines his many big, seemingly fun adventures, like this clip of him skiing untracked face-deep snow. That's why we're alive! (laughs) But he also reveals how those good times have been coupled with darkness. Ups and Downs is a vulnerable investigation into how his struggles nearly drove him to oblivion. And in the opening scenes, Drew is jarringly honest about how this is not a tale that can be packaged up neatly for our understanding. It's hard to tell this story because it's not encapsulated with a beginning and an end. Like, this is my life. I've lived it. I'm still living it. In society, when we talk about mental health, we don't go all the way deep. still doesn't feel like, you know anybody wants to talk about like suicide that's the societal thing is like we all feel like we should be able to handle this on our own we should be able to make it through just fine but we shouldn't need help a lot of my life has been spent in this really dark lonely depressive place drew's motivation for sharing his story is to reveal a hard truth about outdoor communities For those of us who live to play in wild places, a lot of our self-worth is tied up in our adventure conquests. And the more difficult the journey, the greater the cred. This is why we've created terms like sufferfests and type 2 fun, a label for the special kind of pleasure we supposedly get from especially grueling moments. Now, there is nothing wrong with this type of thinking, but it can lead us to overlook or hide the pain we don't choose, the pain we keep to ourselves. For as long as Drew can remember, he has struggled with the conflict between what his life looked like on the outside and what he was feeling inside. I grew up in Silverthorne, Colorado. Grew up right in a ski town. It was the greatest gift that my parents could have ever given me. And grew up right in the mountains. Our neighborhood backs up right to the National Forest. So, like, I grew up with the forest and the mountains out my back door as my teacher of sorts. I also just have memories of like playing in the woods with my brother and our dog. And we had incredible access to world-class ski areas. And my parents put me on skis when I was one and a half. I definitely just remember like the joy of skiing. Lots of memories of just skiing at Copper in a basin with my family. But there were definitely, like, two sides of me. There was the side of me that was really happy. It was a really good brother to my older brother and a really good son and a really good student and a really good skier. And I think I was very well liked and I was very loved. And then there was this other side of me Mm. where I was very moody and I would throw temper tantrums and people definitely just thought that I was being a kid and I was, you know, struggling to grow up in ways. 
But that turmoil and that side of me didn't just like go away. It morphed into anger problems. That's part of why I poured myself into my athletics and my academics so hard was because it felt like that was like sort of redeeming to to that other side of me. When was the first time that you thought about suicide? The earliest memory that I have of suicidal thoughts was when I was in fourth grade. And so I was nine years old. I was upset about something or really sad. And this girl in my fourth grade class said, if you're thinking about killing yourself, then at least do it in a cool way. Like jump off a big cliff on your skis or something. Jesus. And all of the kids around me laughed. Except for me, because I had thoughts of killing myself. And like right then, at nine years old, it's confirmed by all of the kids laughing around me that those thoughts are something that I keep private and something to hide from the rest of the world. So Drew buried his anger and his sadness under his goal of becoming a professional skier. And on the outside, his mountain athlete lifestyle sure sounded idyllic. And it still does. I started competing in big mountain freeride comps when I was in high school. And the first money that I ever made from skiing was in contest winnings when I was 15. And mixed in there is skiing for a lot of different companies, switching from competition to film and photo skiing. And you fast forward 12 years later now, I'm 27. And now it's to the point where it's my job to go ski powder. And that's pretty damn sweet. (laughs) But there is definitely a dissonance between how I felt the outside world perceived me and perceived my life and what was really going on. I wasn't showing all of me. There was this whole other side that I've kept hidden from the world, not just through ski films and Instagram posts, but also in my life. Ever since I was nine years old and had figured out that I probably shouldn't talk about suicidal thoughts with anyone and that I should keep them to myself. I just kept a huge part of myself hidden and behind closed doors. I felt very alone in my struggles. I felt like no one could possibly understand what it was like to be thinking about killing myself. Especially when, like, the rest of my life was pretty awesome. Drew was deeply lonely, and also fiercely protective of his loneliness. He believed that no one could or would understand what he was going through, so he constructed an always happy facade. But that constant acting, the constant battle to hold the heavy weight of that front up, was an impossible task. He describes this in a scene in Ups and Downs. I expected myself to be happy and stoked all the time, and that fueled the spiral downwards because I was not 
meaning up to my own expectation of who I'm supposed to be. So many people see the highlights and so many people see me standing on the top of mountains and skiing perfect powder, but people don't see the days when it's like harder than climbing a mountain to get out of bed. Nobody sees that that's what really dominated my life for a long time. It wasn't getting outside, it wasn't getting in the mountains. It was just forcing myself to crawl out of bed. I remember thinking that if I could do all of these things athletically, if I could climb mountains, if I could ski big lines, why couldn't I figure this out myself? How could I not be strong enough? I had so much shame wrapped up in needing help and being depressed, and that shame is why I was so silent for so long. Physical injuries often accompany a life spent in the mountains, and Drew is no stranger to getting hurt. Over the course of his career, he has had 13 surgeries, more concussions than he can remember, and rehabbed himself back from things like a dislocated hip, broken ribs, blown apart knees, and a broken sacrum. But all that could not prepare him for the events of May 10th, 2017, a ski adventure that nearly killed him. I was on Mount Hood in Oregon. I was on a road trip to climb and ski the highest peak in every state of the American West. We climbed the south face of the mountain, and then we were going to ski a line on the east face. And things didn't look the way we expected. It looked like there had been a recent wet slide, so we made the decision to climb off of that face and ski down another side of the mountain. What happened next is documented in horrific detail in Ups and Downs, interspersed with gripping footage of Drew and his ski partner captured on a GoPro. I was transitioning my skis to put them on my pack. Okay, we got to get it right this time. I think we should consider hiking out. Because that is about, like, fall, potentially die exposure. I'm going to take the few seconds to throw skis on the pack. I think I'll be able to hide quicker if that's if they're on there. I just heard a crack. The sound of rockfall is super distinct. A rock fell probably about 40 feet from the cliff directly above me, and it was about the size of a microwave, and it landed directly on the back of my head in the middle of my upper back, and on the forearm of my left arm. My helmet definitely saved my life that day. My helmet took a lot of the impact and kept the rock from going into my skull. I was bleeding really badly out of my left arm. The, the rock had gone through all of the layers that I was wearing and my jacket was filling up with blood. We decided to tourniquet my left arm because my greatest fear was that if we didn't stop that bleeding, I would bleed out on the hillside. And then the second reality that I was facing was that we really needed to get off of that face of the mountain because if one rock fell 
then more rocks were going to fall. The safest choice and quickest evacuation route was to first climb to the summit and descend a different side of the mountain. Despite his injuries, Drew and his partner were able to make it to the top where they made a plan. Drew's partner would ski down as quickly as possible, get ski patrol, and call 911. Drew would ski down slowly and not risk further injury. And so he descended by himself, down thousands of vertical feet, to the parking lot at the base of Mount Hood. When he arrived, his partner was still trying to secure help. Drew was alone. I skied straight onto the pavement, and I couldn't bend over to get out of my skis. And so I just yelled, help, into a parking lot full of people, probably just chilling, drinking some beers, grilling up some dogs on a spring ski day. That's for sure the only time that I've ever yelled help just hoping that a stranger would answer that call. Someone did answer the call. Many folks did. Drew was loaded onto a helicopter and rushed to the closest trauma center in Portland, Oregon. During the flight, something surprising and profound happened. I just remember, like, trying to make a deal. If I lose my left arm, that's fine. If, like, my back was broken, you know, no matter how how bad that was, if I was paralyzed, like, that was fine. I was okay with that. If my neck was broken, whatever. All I wanted was to live. We'll be back after a short break. Brought to you by Lexus. There are things you can own that do much more than their stated functions. Things like a professional-grade kitchen range or an aerodynamic carbon fiber bike. The truth is, exceptional things inspire you to do exceptional things. They push you to reach higher, to go farther. To this select list we add the all-new Lexus GX. You don't buy it just for the life you have, but also for the life you want to have. Its exceptional capability will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed, making plans that were once outside your scope. But as much as the GX challenges you, it also spoils you. Its intuitive technology and luxurious features mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to it. The all-new Lexus GX. Following his near-death accident on Mount Hood in May of 2017, Drew Peterson was life-flighted to a trauma center in Portland, Oregon. Despite being hit by a massive rock, remarkably, he wasn't gravely injured. Doctors were able to close the huge laceration on his left arm and restore proper blood flow. Tests came back negative for internal bleeding and a broken back. In fact, Drew didn't have any broken bones and wasn't diagnosed with a concussion, though that would later be proven to be a mistake. 
Drew was shocked, and so were the doctors, who kept joking with him about buying a lottery ticket since they thought he was the luckiest human on the planet that day. And yet, despite the powerful desire to live that he'd felt in the helicopter, the emotional trauma of the accident ended up causing Drew to spiral deeper into depression, loneliness, and suicidal ideation. It felt like I was a ghost, just like following around my body, watching my body go through the motions of life, but not actually being there for any of that. I tried to lean on skiing and drinking to just give me enough happiness that that pain and those suicidal thoughts like would get overpowered it felt like there was just one punch after another like life really started to feel like it was getting the best of me it's honestly as simple as I was either going to get help or I was going to kill myself and I chose to get help. I started therapy 16 months after the accident. It took me that long for things to get bad enough and for me to have the courage and strength to ask for help and to follow through on finding and seeking that help. Almost getting killed by a falling rock in the mountains is the kind of experience that many people would cite as the worst moment in their life. But Drew says he is grateful for the accident. He sees it as a flag-in-the-ground moment that was so dire, it forced him to examine the parts of himself he had long buried. And when he looks back at what he went through, he says that the shift in his thinking began the very instant that rock slammed into him. Right after the rock hits you, you're moaning and you're grunting and you say, Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to be okay. And after you tourniquet your arm and you prepare for evacuation, you started saying something to your ski partner that is notably different. You say, We're gonna fucking do this. You yelled it. It was confident. It was determined. There's no doubt. There's no tremble in your voice. And you said, We and not I. Do you think this is the same kind of life or death determination and community appeal that powered you to get help? It's not the same feeling that led me to that conviction of getting help but it's that same feeling of we're gonna fucking do this that getting help and therapy and finding my amazing care team who fucking went through hell with me that's what that feeling is akin to is now that conviction that I have from getting help and from that journey of healing and recovery. 
and facing the sides of myself that I've never been brave enough or strong enough to examine and to and to live with that's what that conviction came to what did that first day of therapy feel like the biggest thing i remember the most powerful thing i remember and the biggest affirmation of asking for help was when my therapist asked me if i was having thoughts of killing myself and i said yes wow and i finally i finally told someone did you feel relief did you feel like oh it's out there someone knows yeah definitely felt some relief I just wasn't alone. Mm. I just wasn't alone anymore. It was the beginning of healing and and becoming the man I am today. Drew's therapist diagnosed him with PTSD from the Rockfall accident and recommended he see a neurologist, who also diagnosed Drew with post-concussion syndrome and type 2 bipolar disorder, which is defined by depressive episodes and hypomanic swings. This is what had been causing Drew so much pain since he was a boy. When you got these diagnoses, were you relieved? Did you feel like you had, like, an answer? I was super relieved. It validated what was going on, and it validated that it wasn't all just my fault. Getting a diagnosis proved, like, there's something wrong, and there's a path to deal with what's wrong. And that's, like, man, that's such a such a turning point. I think my story is like an an anecdote or microcosm or case study of the story of our communities as a whole. Our communities build a lot of our value and self-worth around athletics and around what we do in the mountains and what adventures we go on on the weekends. And a lot of those parts and pieces would lead people to believe that strength is climbing a mountain. And strength is putting on a smile and experiencing type 2 fun. But the reality is mental illness is not type 2 fun. We gotta talk about it. This is the reason Drew has made it his mission to share a story. It's why he made Ups and Downs. Only 30 days after its premiere in February 2022, the film amassed nearly 50,000 views on YouTube. During in-person screenings in the fall of 2022, Drew is met with a standing ovation every time he stepped on stage. But accolades and eyeballs are not what he is after. 
I didn't want to create a film that followed a traditional story arc that was like, here's the protagonist at a nadir, and then here's them climbing out of that through their struggle to get to the top of a metaphorical and literal mountain and now fuck yeah I've conquered everything and I'm gonna ski down we could have packaged my story in in that way but it's just not the truth the truth is that the ups and downs have been a journey and they still are a journey and the real resolution is living my life in a way where I place my own mental health as top priority. It's not about how many people watch it or, or you know, whatever it means to my ski career. Like, the reason I made this film was to help people. I've received hundreds of messages. I don't even know how many of people just thanking me. And a lot of people also have been really vulnerable to share what the film has meant for them. And there's people who have reached out and said, like, this got me to tell my wife about my depression for the first time ever. Like, 50-year-old, burly, bearded, tattooed men who, like, literally ask me if they can give me a hug to moms to... I had a few kids come and thank me. And when I was a kid, I idolized pro skiers. They were my heroes. And if when I was a kid, a pro skier who I looked up to had been talking about these things and had been vulnerable about mental health, then my entire life would be different. I would have gotten help so much sooner. And I hope that I can hold that for somebody. But now I know that I do. And... That means more than anything in my ski career. Like, that's when I really learned that sharing this side of myself could help other people. The experience of sharing my story publicly, of making this film and now releasing this film to the world, it truly affirms my belief that the solution starts with talking about it. There is help. There is hope. And you can find peace. You can do it. And you're not alone. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is a hotline for individuals in crisis or for those looking to help someone who is. To speak with a certified listener, Call 1-800-273-8255 or go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org to chat with a counselor. It's free, confidential, 
and available 24 hours a day, every day. This episode was produced by Patty O'Connell and edited by me, Michael Roberts. Music by Robbie Carver. Drew Peterson's new film, Ups and Downs, can be found on YouTube. And you can follow Drew on Instagram. He's at Drew Peter Ski. The Outside Podcast is made possible by our Outside Plus members. Learn more about all the benefits of membership at OutsideOnline.com slash pod plus. Also, we're offering new members a 25% discount. Just enter the code POD25 at checkout. We'll be back with a new episode next week.